Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, before I introduce my guest this week, I would just like to say a big thank you to people who have been donating to us recently. A couple of weeks ago, we published a book, The Long March by Mark Sidwell, uh, you might remember. Uh, people have been requesting copies, um, we've been sending them out. And in fact, the price of it is £10, but many people have been actually giving us much more than that. And, and that really is very, very touching, very generous. And so I want to take this opportunity to say thank you very, very much uh, for your support. Now, over the past few months, the police seem to have been rarely out of the headlines, whether it is about COVID or indeed about the Black Lives Matter protests. So I'm delighted that my guest this week is Kevin Hurley. He is a former police and crime commissioner for Surrey and also formerly a detective superintendent in the Met. He's most recently contributed two articles to The Spectator and to the Daily Mail. Um, Kevin, nice to see you. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Uh, Kevin, there are so many things to talk about, uh, but I just wanted to start by asking you a very, a rather a broad question, I suppose. Do, do you think that there is a crisis of public confidence in the police at the moment? Um, broadly, no. Right. I think what we've got is, if you look at the statistics on police public confidence, they never change, they never vary, rather like the timing in the army. One, two, three, one. They, they never change, they never vary. They're always round about 65, 70% amongst the highest confidence ratings of any group after the clergy. Yeah. But I think what we are we are seeing is that some elements of the public are being unsettled by all sorts of, of events that have occurred over the last few years. The, the first one in which is, of course, police uh, prioritising, filtering, filtering out crimes um, that they're now responding to, which is essentially resource-driven. Yeah. But also they're concerned about the fact that the police are being seen back off in the face of antisocial behaviour, uh, particularly by groups that may be able to uh, militate on the basis that they are um, a less well-represented group in society. So I think we've, we've got that. If we then combine that with the problems that follow trying to enforce the legislation after the COVID lockdown, which, if I may say, and I did say at the time on media, uh, were pretty wishy-washy and pretty weak mm -hmm. uh, and unclear. You were left with officers trying to deal with quite nebulous legislation, very little training, with some people who were quite resentful of being told, well, actually, no, you can't do that. It's antisocial. That started to create a few issues. And, of course, like everything, um, we live in a, a, a very fast-moving age in terms of media this podcast is an example yeah uh, if something goes on social media within five minutes it can go in a hundred thousand different places yes. so one particular issue of police conduct or something they do and i mean for example the derbyshire police drone uh, over the peak district this went all over the place yeah. and next thing it's being spun as we've got some nazi state whereas at, the, at that time there were probably a dozen police officers actually fighting almost for their lives with antisocial people up and down the country. Yeah. So we've had that. If we then follow on with uh, the marches we've seen of late, the Black Lives Matters marches, 
where police have been seen to run away, uh, chased en masse into King George Street mm. by the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, chased running along the walls of Buckingham Palace mm. and so on. Uh, we've seen statues uh, desecrated. We saw someone try and actually set fire to the Union Jack on the Cenotaph. And as someone who's done two tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan, that truly does uh, upset me. Yeah. Um, and then we see the following week, uh, the football hooligans, for want of a better word, coming out and then abusing the police who are just standing there exactly the same. It would seem the police can do no right or do no wrong. But the reality of it is 95% of the British population at this moment are concerned about their businesses, their job security, their incomes, their mortgages, getting their kids back to school, making sure that the National Health Service is, is going to be okay and can still provide for them. And they're thinking about how are their more elderly parents. Very few people on a day-to-day -day basis really worry about Black Lives Matters or about the police. In the end, the public are still always going to call the police if they're in trouble. So a long answer that really says the, the broad rump of British society are still behind the police. I, I just yeah. want to take up one point that you made there, Kevin, which was about people seeing the police sort of running away. Um, you mentioned a particular, a few examples that were widely shared on social media, but there was also the case recently, we've had a number, haven't we, of, uh, of kind of social disorder incidents where, where for example, yeah. most recently, the police en masse are sort of backing away, retreating. I mean, when you oh. look at this, is this something that actually they are told to do? Is this a policy? Up until, up until 2011, uh, I was the borough commander uh, for Hammersmith and Fulham, which included the White City Estate, mm -hmm. which is the last place we saw the police first running away and then going back later with more people. When I was, when I was at Hammersmith and Fulham, um, I actually came in one morning as the boss of the, the, the area and sat down at the morning management meeting where we get briefed on what's gone on the day before. And I was informed that an incident occurred on the White City Estate and officers had withdrawn on the basis of community confidence. At that very moment, I said, I will make an edict now under no circumstances whatsoever are we ever to withdraw or be chased off an estate. Mm. If you are the inspector, you are to call for more men, more vans and more dogs. You will not lose mm. because the community are not the yobs. They are the people who live in the houses that we're there to protect. Police must never give up ground. So you'll understand where my stance is yeah. on those particular issues. Now, we're in a very difficult position, actually, with policing um, in the UK from where it was in 2011 when I left. And we had that debacle where the police were defeated in detail in the riots all over the country because we should remember four people died in those riots it cost the economy in damage alone hundreds of millions and doubtless billions in tourism uh, and it actually took seventeen thousand police officers coming in from outside london to re-establish order that was a crushing defeat for police uh, i used to joke with my former senior police colleagues it seems our tactics have become wait until the looters arms get tired right yeah that's how i viewed it it was an appalling failure of strategic leadership and preparation 
for those responsible for public order leading up to that, that they had not got the assets trained and ready to deploy or the leadership to deal with that mm. because it should never have happened. Um, so, you know, and I'll give, I'll give you a small example of what I mean. Around every police station in London, there is a protective personnel carrier, which has got a load of shields on it. And there are a number of officers whose normal job is patrolling locally, in the, who turn up to your burglary call, pub fights, your missing person call and so on. But back in the police station, they keep a big uh, duffel bag full of their riot equipment, protective kit. And when the balloon goes up, they are mobilised. Go and get in the truck and go off to wherever they have to go. If you're truly prepared, what you do is you make sure, first of all, the battery is charged on the truck, that it's full of diesel, that there are the correct number of shields on the vehicle, and the officer's helmets are correctly numbered up and enumerated, and their visors work correctly. Mm. Unless you prepare to that level of detail, never mind the radio communications and tactics, you will fail. You must rehearse and prepare in detail. And I know for a fact that that doesn't happen or didn't happen before then, apart from, of course, on my borough, where I made sure it did. However, let's move forward to where we are now. When we talk about the police, let's really split it into three groups. The strategic leadership, the assistant chief constables, the chief constables, the commissioners, the assistant commissioners. They're the ones who deal with the police and crime commissioners. They're the ones who deal with the police minister. Uh, they're the ones who deal with under secretaries of state and permanent secretaries at the Home Office. That's one group. The next group is the superintendents and the chief inspectors who run the big police stations and the big boroughs, if you like. Uh, so, for example, Westminster is commanded by a chief superintendent who will be assisted by a couple of superintendents and half a dozen chief inspectors. Right. That senior leadership team are the ones responsible for day-to-day -day delivery. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the next group, which is the uh, constable sergeants and to some extent the inspectors who have a foot in both camps. Uh, the inspectors will run maybe 40, 50 people and sergeants have teams of about 10 or even more these days. The constables have absolutely nothing in common with the thinking of the chief officer group. Yeah. The chief officer group operate on a daily basis of managing budgets, managing uh, government and PCC imperatives, mm -hmm. frankly, in my view, knee jerking mm -hmm. and rushing the deck chairs about depending on what's in the Daily Mail or the Guardian mm -hmm. uh, and, and so on, as evidenced by the Bianca Williams incident uh, of late. Um, that's got nothing to do with what a constable does. A constable is dealing with constant fast-time decision-making incidents of people in crisis, whether it's a mentally disordered person, someone whose child's late home from school, the house has just been burgled, they've been attacked in the street or whatever, or they're dealing with a pub fight. Right. These are all instant personal survival type issues for those police officers in terms of their physical survival their career survival and their job so they work in a life of great dynamic risk mm. as opposed to their hierarchy you live in a different world um so uh, i would say in, in, my, in my judgment the senior leadership of the police have lost 
to a large extent, with a few exceptions. For example, the chief constable in Northamptonshire, a guy called Nick Alderley, the chief officers, to a large extent, certainly in the Metropolitan Police, have lost the confidence of the workforce. Would you say... So the constables and sergeants yes. see themselves on their own trying to fend off the brickbats on all sides, feeling unsupported. Uh, Kevin, on, on that point, you mentioned there about uh, Bianca Williams. Um, isn't that a very good example in a way? I mean, we had the situation this week whereby it seems that, you know, it the, the, the Met Commissioner said that nothing had been done wrong, but then went ahead and apologised. I mean, what's your attitude to, to that? Well, I, I mean, I'm basing my last statement on exactly what I see on police social media networks that I link into. And of course, um, I have got a substantial number of ex-police colleagues who are still serving, who talk to me all the time. Uh, and I see their, their websites, their comments. Um, I socialize with some younger ones. I go skiing with them and so on. Um, they, there they are, to use a military phrase, morale-wise, on their chin straps. Yeah. And they are appalled at what the Met Commissioner has just done. Yes. And if I may, I, I will unpick that, if I may. Yes, of course, please. Right, so what have we got? What was that incident from what we know? Not necessarily what the body-worn cameras show, but from what we know. What we know is that a specialist anti-crime unit called the Territorial Support Group were deployed to an area of high violence. They were on an anti-knife, anti-gangster, anti-gun patrol in that area. Yeah. They do not come from that area. They are a highly motivated, picked mobile resource who have to get selected for that job. And their secondary job is be the first line of uh, defense in a public order incident with shields and helmets. So they always travel with their stuff on their vehicle. But very often they'll just be out patrolling in plain clothes or because of the worries of disorder at the moment, they're patrolling in their uniforms um, in to a tasked area. Mm -hmm. And they are given a briefing before they go there that will identify for them the most violent criminal gangsters in that area. And they'll be given the pictures. And knowing the area that they're patrolling in, because of the fact that nearly 15% of the murder rate in the UK is young black males killing young black males who represent in that demographic less than 1% of the population. Uh, I hate to say it, but it's true. Many of the pictures and targets they'll be looking at will be young black males mm -hmm. because they're the ones who are killing each other. Mm -hmm. So that's, if you like, the mindset of the officers who are patrolling in that area. Tasked to look at that and tasked to when they identify people to firstly stop them and speak to them what their movements are and if they become suspicious search them so one officer in the vehicle sees a car go by with darkened out privacy windows they are naturally inquisitive as to who will be in that car it could be anyone from as we saw athletes to pop stars to frankly gangsters because gangsters tend to favor cars with tinted out windows right. it's a fact yeah, yeah. Um, so they're going to be attracted by that so they indicate for that car to stop they pull up behind it i imagine with their lights on the car stops what we do know is as the officers got out of the vehicle the car drove off mm -hmm. their mindset is 
these people are worth inquiring who's in it. We don't know who they are because the windows are blacked out. So the next thing is the car drives off. They will immediately jump back in their car and think, game on. They, they, we've got something here. They don't want to be stopped. That's what their reaction is, yep. because they are there to protect the public uh, and find criminals. Mm -hmm. So when they stop the car, when, as the car eventually stops, the driver refuses to get out. They cannot see who's clearly in the car because of the darkened windows. But they are concerned because this is what they're deployed to do. And their suspicions have been erased that there may be weapons, guns, knives or drugs in that car. Mm. So they are going to want now for their own safety to control the occupants of that car. So when eventually the person, come, the driver comes out of the car, they're going to want to control him physically for their own safety. Mm -hmm. And you can see what their mindset had become at that stage in that one of the officers has actually got his baton expanded and it's over his shoulder in case the person coming out of that car has got a machete, a knife or a gun or a taxi. That's what they now thought had happened. And the driver of the car contributed to that uh, view to the police because he drove off as the police tried to approach the vehicle. Mm -hmm. You know, let's be fair. The first thing you're going to think anyone, if you drive off when someone's a police approaching your vehicle, you're up to something. Yeah. So when they took him out of the car, initially was non-compliant from what we can hear of the shouting. They put handcuffs on him, which is perfectly normal to keep him controlled so things can now be done securely and nicely. They don't know who's in the rear of the vehicle, which is Bianca Williams, because the windows are darkened out. As they open the door, they see someone videoing, but at the same time saying, no, 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 shouting that won't come out. A female police officer is trying to explain to her, please come out of the car if you listen to her. Very, very calm. They take her out of the car and secure her with handcuffs. I doubt that they saw there was a baby in the car. And it's not unknown anyway for people to hide knives, guns or drugs underneath babies in prams okay. from from terrorists in Algeria to the IRA in Ireland to drug dealers in the UK. They will hide stuff like that. So this is the mindset the police have got. At the end of this, they allow the people to go on their way. Uh, he's not reported for failing to stop for police, which he could have been reported for. So they've had a bonus there because they could have got some penalty points for that. And the police go on their way. The video is then reviewed twice by independent members of the police professional standards department and say there's no problem. As a result of the swirling uh, pressure, the commissioner of the Met buckles, sends this off to be reviewed by the independent office of police conduct an organisation with which I'm singularly unimpressed with their abilities either to investigate speedily, make decisions or demonstrate their independence because I had a lot of issues with their forerunner when I was a police and crime commissioner where I actually had to tell them how to do investigations properly so they didn't lose evidence of offending by police officers because bear in mind by then I was representing the public because of course this organisation employs people straight off the streets from university yes. and then gets them to investigate, you know, stuff that we would require a detective to have 15, 20 years of experience. But we'll move on because this isn't about the IOPC. So the commissioner has referred it off to them, which immediately starts to lose the confidence of the officers. The very next thing she does, she sends a commander 
which is equivalent to an assistant chief constable. You know, in London, a commander could have a command span of 10,000 people if they're responsible for territorial policing. Mm -hmm. The chief superintendent in charge of the territorial support group to go with her and hold her hand, two extremely senior officers to go off and apologise to a couple of people who failed to stop for police. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you, uh, Kevin, uh, we're talking about police reaction to different things over the past few months. What was your what was your thoughts? What, what was your reaction to various police officers? Uh, to use that phrase, taking the knee at various demonstrations. We've seen it not just in London, but in other places. I believe Essex too. I think it depends on the circumstances. Broadly, as the senior police officer, I would not be taking the knee. But it depends on the circumstances. Because I have been in confrontational situations in Iraq, alongside the American army, where the commander has instructed his men, once we discuss what was going on, to take a knee, take their sunglasses off, and lower their weapons facing a hostile crowd. And this will take the sting out of the situation. However, taking a knee in these circumstances is also making a political statement. So unless a strategic decision was made for reasons to actually reduce the chances of disorder and that would need to be taken by the chief inspector on the ground in Whitehall I would not allow officers to become involved in making a political statement which taking the knee is well it, it's a political it would be it would be a tactical decision to avoid further disorder if I did it because I thought this is the last option for me to avoid extreme disorder I would not do it to make a political statement or indeed be liked. Well, this is the point, isn't it? But also, surely, the last thing people want is to see the police in a kind of submissive position. You know, it... well, this is my point. This is my point. What I'm saying, there could be a circumstance where, depending on the nature of the crowd you're facing, it might be seen as a sensitive gesture to influence that crowd to view the police positively to do that. However, that would need very careful decision making and some mature reflection, albeit very quick reflection, before you did it. But I, as a matter of policy, would not do it because it's a political statement, particularly in the light of the fact that if one understands the narrative of where black lives matters comes from as opposed to what some of the supporters thinks are it's marxist driven intent on destabilizing the state defunding the police and breaking down capitalism there is no way that that the visible manifestation of the elected democratic government should be seen to pay homage to an organization with that narrative i think uh, what's interesting you were on sky recently uh, i saw a bit of an interview there with you on sky and when you started to uh address this point about Black Lives Matter, it did appear uh, that they sort of rather broke you, you know, rather cut you off rather quickly. Uh, you know, it, it, did you feel that at the time? No, I didn't, because I, I've, I've, I've been interviewed with Adam Bolton many times. And in fact, I do punditry for Sky on policing all the time. Yes. Uh, and they brought me on. I think Adam was surprised and rattled by 
some of my answers because he just expected me to talk about why the police were seen to run away at Brixton, yeah. whereas I broadened the issue out. Right, right, I see. So you were very, uh, very... And, and the real... I, I think the real issue, um, the real issues that surprised people was when I said the narrative is in fact wrong. Last year, 16 people died in police custody, mm -hmm. mainly from drug overdoses. Of those 16, only one was black. And last year, three people were shot dead by police. Last year, only one was black. And I then went on to say the main cause of unexpected death by young black males is murder by young black males. Mm -hmm. People are not prepared to address that fact because until we deal with this, we're going to continue to have the narrative of why are black people, young black people, disproportionately stopped and searched. Mm -hmm. The principal reason is because police want to save their lives. Yes. And so until we understand why this culture has developed amongst young black males, of gang violence on each other and respect and postcode control of uh, drugs or whatever, and we deal with the causes behind that, we are going to continue to see an increasing murder rate. And in fact, it will get worse because after statements like the commissioner uh, the other day in the House of Commons, less and less police are willing mm. to proactively engage on the street and stop and engage and search young black youths. So it will get worse. When you say uh, it will get worse, I think you wrote recently, uh, Kevin, in I think it might have been The Spectator, that we were actually in danger. The police were in danger of, of basically losing control of the streets, if not they haven't already. And indeed, that there was a lawlessness that we were now facing. Well, y yes, that's correct. I mean, I would say... I mean, I can remember way back in 1989 in Brixton, police being chased off the Stockwell Park estate, and we had to go and deal with the gangs before people could resume foot patrol on a normal council estate. Mm. So it isn't a new thing, uh, but what I have seen over the last 10 years, just as I was leaving the police, more and more incidents of police being chased out of various estates up and down the country, because of either a lack of numbers or a lack of willingness and robustness from senior police officers to confront this and understand they're not being chased out by the community, they're being chased out by the yachts and the community are being left whilst you run away and leave them. So you're not actually keeping community yeah. uh, tranquility, you're letting the yachts do. I've seen it get worse. We've seen in the last couple of weeks uh, the Brixton incident, the White City incident, Maida Vale, other places up and down the country. Uh, you'll, you'll see it on some traveller sites. This kind of thing is quite common. It's completely unacceptable and police cannot, police cannot um, in certain areas, maintain order, never mind law and order. It is a fact. Many, you know, many times, even in 2011, uh, as a chief superintendent, borough commander, I can remember one incident where police were uh, some peace community support officers were chased one afternoon out of Hammersmith Broadway um, bus station. And the immediate reaction of my chief inspectors, because they thought this is what the police hierarchy wanted, was, and I said, what are we going to do about it? And they said, 
well, we're going to stop patrols in there for the next couple of days because the youth gangs in there have chased us out. Right. Uh, and I said, oh. And I then called in my PA. I said, block off my diary for this afternoon. Chief Inspector, order me up 50 men from the TSG, four dogs, six vans, two plainclothes officers to watch my back. I'm going to go in there, start talking to them. When it starts, I'm going to arrest all of them. We will never give up the ground. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, we do not have that ethos of leadership uh, amongst senior police leaders, chief superintendents, superintendents, chief inspectors, one or two perhaps, yes. But generally, they would never dream of doing something like that because they're scared of being criticised, scared of being overly robust and therefore not being promoted. Well, this is I actually did, while I was serving in the police, I actually did a 10-part uh, series with a TV company called Brick Cops, Zero Tolerance Policing on the Borough of Hammersmith and Fulham. We were one of only two of the 32 boroughs in London on the 32 points of crime measurement who were only green in every single one. Right, right. The Met were red or amber in their figures on 24. And what I did is I let the cameras go out in the backs of cars with the cops everywhere, the robbery squad, playing clothes and so on. But I always spoke live to the camera at the beginning of every single one and said, they don't rule the streets, we do. Mm. Now, I ended up, just to tell you the way the mindset goes of the organisation, I ended up being told at several levels of command above me to stop doing this. Mm. In the end, I, was su I refused. I was summoned up to see the deputy commissioner who gave me a formal warning. At the same time, I brought a rucksack with him, with me. And I said, deputy, I thought you'd be doing that. I said, I brought this rucksack. If I may empty it out on your desk. And I'm talking about, you know, 15, 20 pounds of printout paper sheets of emails from all over the country where people were asking me to come and be their police chief. But I was told this is not the correct image for police leaders to portray. Right. I beg to differ. Mm. The public want to know they're going to be protected by professional, mm. calm, robust senior leaders. Mm. And I think what they see now is people who vacillate, mm. buckle and bend mm. to every imaginable pressure group mm. um, and won't stand up and tell the truth and won't be counted. My message really uh, to the Prime Minister, if ever he gets to watch something like this, is you need a root and branch clear out there mm -hmm. uh, to get some people there who will lead, but understand how to motivate and lead their constables, because there's very few in the country. Also, so you could start with bringing the Chief Constable of Northamptonshire in and put him in charge, because he seems like a pretty good operator. I mean, do, it really, it comes down to this, doesn't it? That the, It should be a police force and not a police service. Isn't, isn't that right? No, it's a police service. Uh, we are there, or the police are there, to serve the public. 90% of what they do is giving service, dealing with mentally disordered people in the street, old ladies who've wandered out late at night from their care homes, children who've come late from school, providing advice to domestic violence victims. But part of being that service is enforcing the law when appropriate and enforcing it robustly. Because the way policing is best delivered, actually, whether it's in Afghanistan or in the UK, 
is with buy-in, if you like, the consent of the public. Because the police cannot do it on their own. If the public won't call 999 and tell them something's going on, if the public won't give them information, if the public won't be witnesses, and if the public won't give them their CCTV, the police really cannot solve any crimes. So the public are vital uh, in, the, in this part of the partnership. So I understand your point, but the, there is a, a kind of misunderstanding of what the police role is in, in essentially it's providing a service which which is everything from actually if necessary shooting a terrorist dead because that's all you can do uh to hope it helping a blind person cross the road mm. but uh, can we have to sort of finish now really but i was going to ask you you just said there what we need uh is a is a, a root and branch clear out uh that would be your message would it to Prime Minister, the Home Secretary or whatever, is it essentially you're talking about the top layer is just simply not fit for purpose, is that right or not? They're extremely clever, extremely well educated and they are very good political animals. Mm. They frankly fit in on the cabinet quite well in terms of how they would operate and manoeuvre. Yeah. Um, however, they, they have lost the confidence of their workforce. Um, very few of them understand or know what it's like to operate on the street. Unless the workforce are confident that their leadership care for them, they will not deliver for us, for the public. And they need to start with absolute basics. So, you know, let's, let's try and restore the pride of individual police officers. Yeah. Get them to wear their uniforms properly. Take pride in how they look. Clean their shoes, wear their headdress. You know, shave before you come to work, mm. clean the police cars, go to work ready to perform. If you don't inculcate those basic values where people take a pride in what they're going to do, we're getting the product we get now, which in some ways is the best many cops can do, but they could do so much better if they embrace some of the ethos of Virgin Airways, for example. Kevin, thank you very, very much. Uh, for that is really great to hear you uh, and uh, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of response to what you said uh, thank you very much uh, that's it for uh, so what you're saying is this week uh, we shall see you next time thank you